Welcome to the AACE Australian Section Podcast. Our vision is to promote wider understanding in Australia that AACE members drive projects to complete on time, on cost, and meet investment and operational goals. We arm our members with the technical tools and expertise to support successful projects and programs. Established in 1956, AACE International is the best source for superior technical resources and connection to industry thought leaders. For more information or to become a member, check out aacei.org.au. some role in the the data maintenance there at IPA. Uh, I had to study that escalation issue pretty intently to find out why the magazines and the published indices were not tracking what we were seeing. And that set me on a learning curve to found out that escalation is not understood. It's not estimated correctly. It's not treated as a risk, which it is. It's an enormous risk, and nobody does it probabilistically. So anyway, that experience really started there. Uh, this is an AAC international meeting, so I just want to thank everybody for participating. I've been very active in AACE uh, since I joined back about 1990. <clears throat> and uh, so anyway, I think it's a great thing for your career, as, as Frank was saying. So the talk I'm going to give today about escalation is covered in my book, which you can see a picture there. There's escalation information in chapters four and 13. Uh, the book is only about 10 bucks on Amazon Kindle. So if you want to read the book, it doesn't cost much. But uh, I think it's probably one of the best treatments of escalation you'll find. But also there are two AACE recommended practices on escalation that people aren't very aware of. There's 58R, which covers the deterministic approach, and 68R, which almost nobody uses, which is the probabilistic approach. Uh, I believe everybody should be using 68R, but almost nobody isn't aware that it exists. So uh, that's something for you to read offline later. So let's talk about escalation and why I'm calling it the forgotten risk. I think my other title would be it's the orphan risk, meaning that nobody takes ownership of it. Nobody uh, is paying much attention to it. But first of all, there's a perception in industry that inflation, that it's inflation. It's a synonym with inflation, but it's not. Inflation has almost very little to do with escalation. Uh, and we're going to go over that in the talk. A lot of people say, well, it's, it's negligible. Why should we worry about it? Inflation has only been one or two percent a year for the last eight or ten years. Uh, but because it's not inflation, it comes back to bite you. It's like a sleeping tiger. And about every eight to ten years, it wakes up and it just devastates projects, uh, tears them apart, and then it kind of disappears back in the cave again, and then it comes back to bite you later. Another reason people don't pay attention to it is that the finance and the business people think when there's inflation that the revenue goes up and if our capital cost goes up along with it well it doesn't really matter because it washes out 
But in reality, the revenue and the capex do not go at the same pace. So you have to look at them individually and find out how they're behaving. Uh, a fourth topic is that often a company's finance dictates to the project community what rates to use. Again, finance has no clue what escalation is. And they usually dictate something like a consumer price index, which has no relevance to our capital project. But everybody says, well, this finance is problem. I'm not going to worry about it. And they just use whatever indices finance tells you. That's a terrible practice. Uh, there's another set of folks that believe that, well, it's in my risk register, in my contingency. I've got a couple of items in there for, you know, copper going up or whatever. But in reality, escalation does not happen one item at a time. It tends to wash over you like a tsunami and affect multiple accounts. And when you have a period of hot escalation, you're not going to cover it by putting it in an item in a risk register. The sixth item is that, and this is something people don't understand, there are no published price indices for the price of anything that is bid. There are zero indices because they only give you indices for things that are uh, on sale on the market in a catalog or union wages. But for an owner company, that is not what we pay. We, we put our engineering, our construction, our fabrication, all those things are bid. And so what we need is an indices that matches the margins and the pricing uh, of that particular market. And nobody publishes indices for those. And then lastly, uh, people think, well, I've got a contract, it's got an escalation clause. Uh, particularly if you're a contractor, you might think you're covered. But if you go back to my previous point, the indices you have in your contract for escalation clause has no relevance to what actually happens in your market. So if you end up paying an extra 10 or 15% to get a subcontractor uh, and the wage goes up 3%, you're in pretty bad shape. So you have to make sure you're covered by some sort of index that actually measures reality. So I'm gonna review the points I just went over and I hope everybody at the end of that recognizes this is a huge risk. And like I said, every eight years or so, we come up and get bitten by this thing. We need to estimate it probabilistically and try to forecast how volatile it can be. So right now in the news, you're saying uh, it's a crazy time this year, again, where we have copper and iron and lithium and uh, other things going up uh, at a crazy rate. Uh, Australia, in particular, is going to be spending an enormous amount of money on infrastructure in the next uh, couple of years. And what's going to happen with that is it's it's a it's almost it's a fact is that the prices of getting anything built in Melbourne and Sydney and anybody that's building it's going to go up at very significant rates. So if you want to get a bid price, it's going to go up much, much faster than the rate of inflation. We're going to go over that. And you need to be able to predict that. And it's not really a risk. It's simply a fact. So I said I'm going to go through some of these reasons why escalation is forgotten. First of all, escalation is not inflation. 
Inflation is just monetary. Escalation is something you put in your estimate to cover the prices changing due to the market conditions in your particular market for that particular type of service or that commodity. Inflation is underlying it. Inflation is a monetary thing, meaning that somebody is printing too much money, therefore the money is worth less and less. So everything goes up a couple percent as they print more money. But escalation has to do with supply and demand in a particular market. And like I said, we do a lot of things with bidding. So escalation, what it's really trying to predict is how the margins are going to trend up and down from these various service bidders. Uh, and depending on how hot the market is or how limited the supply of labor and services is, that uh, the provisions they put in their bids can go up a huge factor above escalation. So again, it's the attributes of it. It's driven by economic condition. It's specific to your microeconomy. So you're in Australia, you're going to have different escalation in Perth, uh, up where the LNG is, up on the north coast, uh, into Melbourne with all the transportation. Each one will have a unique, uh, significantly different rate of escalation because they have different supply and demand uh, of the labor and of the fabricators in that region and so forth. It also includes changes in productivity. So a lot of people think, well, now productivity is not escalation. Well, it, it is if it's prevailing across everybody in a region because there's a shortage of labor and your productivity as a regional thing is declining. That becomes part of escalation because again, as an owner, the price you have to pay to get a service performed will go up as the productivity level and the skill level goes down. Uh, so it varies by region, by item. So we have to have an estimating method that can forecast the supply and demand in these various services. It has to be specific to the cost accounts and the type of contracts we're dealing with. This last bullet says that escalation will differ significantly depending upon where your company is in the bidding tier. So if you are a uh, owner, you are subject to a successive level of markup from the lowest level subcontractors to the prime contractor and finally to you as the owner. And as each level starts jacking up their markups to cover their own risk to the economy, uh, the owner sees the worst case of it. So anyway, depending on what company you are, you're going to be subject to different indices and different escalation rate. So let me show you a little history. Uh, like I said, in 2004, when I was at IPA, we saw an enormous trend of increase, particularly in piping and steel and copper, uh, all kinds of metals were zooming up through the roof. We call it the super cycle. And what I discovered in my research is this chart, really, that there are multiple types of escalation. The first one is consumer price index, which is inflation. This is the monetary underlying element, which is right now, and it has been for a long time, is basically negligible. There has been almost no monetary inflation for a long, long time. It's one or two or three percent a year. It's, it's totally irrelevant to our business. 
The second curve in here is the chemical engineering plant cost index, which a lot of companies use as their kind of standard index to normalize their data and so forth. And what you can see is that the trend of that uh, is going up at about twice the rate of standard inflation because the, the indices that it's made up of are things like labor and wages and not things we buy in a grocery store. So what you'll see is uh, that second tier. Now that chemical engineering plant cost index is kind of the index that the first tier contractor is facing because they are actually having to pay the construction worker directly. And so they're paying a wage uh, and they're subject to the immediate wage pressure. And, but they're not subject to the markup and the margin pressure. The third line is the IHS Marquis Downstream Capital Cost Index. Uh, Marquis uh, supports a number of owner companies and tracks their cost. This is the index to get something built by an owner. And I think you can see that that is about triple the rate of inflation, and it's about one and a half times the chemical plant, uh, the Chepsi index. Uh, so what we're saying is that we have inflation, we have the escalation to the first tier contractor, and then that upper line is the escalation to the owner, because ultimately they're paying everybody's margins and markups successively right up the chain. Uh, to the owner then, and during the super cycle, escalation was about triple the rate of inflation. Uh, it was devastating because in 2004, everybody's projects only included inflation in their estimate. And the capital costs were going through the roof and the economics of almost every mining project in the world was destroyed. Uh, and what you know is back in 2012, uh, the CEO of every mining company in the world was laid off because of this cycle. Basically, the, uh, the profit they were making in the capital projects was just eaten alive by this escalation issue, uh, and the companies didn't understand it. Escalation killed mining. Uh, people don't recognize it, but the failure to forecast escalation is fundamentally can destroy the economics of an entire industry. Now, there was a mining executive, this is back in 2006, named Chip Goodyear at BHP. So he's down there in Australia. And he was quoted as saying that, you know, every time a company announces a project that's next to mine, my prices go up 10%. And then if another company comes in and announces a project next to that, goes up another 10%. And actually, when we did research of that, that is a really good ballpark estimation of escalation's impact. And so you can see how supply and demand can drive up the prices for everybody in a region. And in Australia, you guys went through this with the LNG and back in the mining back at the day. Uh, all those projects were going up 10 or 20 or 30 percent because the competitive nature, you have very limited supply of labor in Australia and a huge amount of capital, uh, that is a terrible mixture, very volatile. And you're going to see it again with the transportation. Same thing's going to happen. Every time you announce a $2 billion transport project that's only 20 kilometers away from another $2 billion one, your prices are going to go up 10% on each of them. 
And then you have a third one on top of that, it goes up another 10%. It's a very good rule of thumb that you can use. Uh, now, I was very active in Alberta and oil sands. Same thing was happening there. Same thing was happening everywhere across the world where there was a very hot uh, CapEx market. Now, the other takeaway is that mega projects create their own market. And what I mean by that is that the limited supply of labor in the region, just by announcing a single mega project, the price of services will kind of like ratchet up five to 10% just from one mega project because you're competing against yourself. <laughs> you are actually having multiple major contractors work on your project. You are creating an internal competition, uh, bidding against themselves uh, in your market, and you will generate your own mini escalation uh, in a vacuum. And we have to be able to predict that. So the key takeaway of this is that I use a term and it's in the AEC recommended practice that we have to be able to forecast the capital demand in your market, in your region. And that capital demand forecast, we're gonna use that later to improve our escalation estimate. Because like I said, there's no published index, price index for our services. So we have to use the capital demand forecast to adjust the underlying price indices. So anyway, uh, since 2012, escalation kind of vanished. Now, that's the nature of escalation. It, you know, we have these cycles where it goes through the roof for three or four or five years, and then it disappears for a decade. So there's a lot of you probably in this listening to me that have never experienced one of these cycles. But I just need to warn you that the cycles will come back. And sometimes they go down, and sometimes they go up. But your value to your owner company is to try to give a warning that if you're announcing a new mega project, you have to say, look, this is a five-year, 10-year duration project. We will get hit in that time span. We'll get hit by at least one cycle. And we have to have some anticipation of when and where that cycle might hit us. Even if it's not highly accurate, we at least are going with our eyes open. Uh, I don't want to dwell on this. This gets back into net present value. But the other thing we have to remember is in the business case, when they run the net present value, the net present value is driven by two things. One is the revenue, the sale of the copper. And when copper price and iron price goes through the roof, everybody in the business gets very excited. You know, gigantic increase in revenue. And what happened in the super cycle is that they started chasing the revenue and every project got approved. Didn't matter how good or bad or ugly it was, they were basically approving every mining project that came across the table. But what was happening is that the when the revenue goes through the roof, so does the CapEx. And what wasn't recognized, they thought CapEx was more or less a constant and the revenue was going up and they could make a huge profit. But what really happened during that period was the CapEx went up proportionally to the revenue and made no profit at all, and were subject to all that volatility. So what you hear nowadays from mining is capital discipline, 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 because they realize how badly they got burnt by not realizing that they were competing against themselves. Every time they approved a project, they were making their own problem worse. So everybody's conserving their capital now and trying not to get caught up in chasing revenue. Uh, we don't wanna get into that cycle. 
Now, another point of aid was finance. A lot of people say, well, I don't worry about it because finance tells me what in escalation rate to use. Well, they give you a rate, but it, if it's inflation, it's uh, pretty useless. Inflation, like I showed, has almost nothing to do with escalation in a volatile market. Uh, you just need to deal with this somehow. Unfortunately, finance is king when it comes to CapEx and setting capital budget. Uh, you're, as an individual, each of us has probably no chance of changing the way they view things. But at least you ought to go in with your eyes open and be able to talk to these guys and say, look, you're telling me to use 2% a year. That's totally ridiculous. It has nothing to do with escalation. You need to be able to explain to them how escalation behaves and why that's not the same as monetary inflation. <clears throat> now, uh, a lot of companies, uh, if I was to ask you in a room today to raise your hand, if you estimate escalation probabilistically, nobody would raise their hand. I've been consulting for 15 years and, you know, we have an AEC 68R. I can just say nobody is treating escalation as a risk. Nobody. Everybody has it in their estimate. They have a little line, you know, on a big project, it says escalation. But really that line is the 3% it is almost negligible. Uh, but when you ask about, you know, why aren't you treating that probabilistically? Well, where's the range on escalation? Where's your P10, P90 on escalation? Like, I don't know what you're talking about, John. We don't do that. Uh, we spend hours and hours and days on contingency. But escalation is zero. So we need to treat it as the risk that it is. And I'm not going to read every line on here. But we just need to know it's that sleeping tiger is going to come back to bite you. Now, this last little card, this is a nasty thing about escalation is because it only comes up every so often. <clears throat> uh, project managers actually like escalation. And what I mean by that is that escalation causes the cost to go up. Everybody can blame all of their bad projects on escalation. It's an unknown unknown, right? We didn't predict it. Who predicted it? Nobody predicted it. You know, our costs went up 30% because of escalation and that's total BS. But the business loves it because it's a get out of jail free card. Uh, so the back in 2008 and 10, uh, escalation was covering every sin. No project was bad. They were all just getting hit by this terrible escalation thing. But in reality, when you dug into it, you know, what you found is when a project failed, two times out of three it had nothing to do with escalation, it had to do with bad management. But anyway, escalation covers all sins. So it has a positive side is that from a project viewpoint, nobody's accountable for it. Uh, therefore, it's get out of jail. Now, another set of folks will say, well, I've got an item in my risk register that says copper price will go up 10%, I'm covered. But in reality, escalation tends to be uh, uh, bubble up and appear throughout your estimate in terms of the uh, anything that's bid in terms of services and labor. Uh, fabrication, for example, piping. You don't buy pipe. As an owner, none of us buy pipe from a mill. We buy fabricated pipe. Uh, in spools and we have to pay the markup to the fabricator. So that markup is also subject to margin risk and so forth. So there's very little actually from an owner that we buy from a catalog. You know, we buy fabricated pipe, we buy fabricated steel. 
we buy engineering services, we buy labor as a bid contract. Uh, so none of the indices that are based on catalog type information or union wage uh, have much to do with us. So anyway, just putting one or two items in the register is not going to cover you there either. Uh, then there's the, the folks that will say, well, it's, it's in my estimate. I'm covered. Uh, I've got a very complicated spreadsheet. I've got an index for iron. I've got one for steel. I've got one for uh, for my wage rate. Uh, reality is none of those indices you're applying uh, match reality. The producer price indices from your economics uh, associations, every country's got one. In Canada, they have a StatsCan. In Europe, they have Eurostat. In the United States, they have the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, in Australia, I'm quite sure you have an economic association that has indices specific to your country. I'm just going to tell you, none of those indices have any real relevance to your project. Uh, they're, they're a foundation. They're a base. It's a starting point of building a true escalation index. But because these economic agencies don't have the ability to check the market for bidding behavior, they can survey a vendor if they're selling something, you know, like a pipe from a mill. They can call up the pipe mill and say, how are your prices this month? But they can't call up the piping fabricators and say, what level are you bidding a fabrication for a ton of pipe? So anyway, they don't track uh, the services that are paid. And we're going to get in, we're going to explain in a bit about how to adjust an index for the fact that these indices don't track capital market. Uh, escalation clauses, like I said, the problem is that if you're a contractor and you put a clause in your contract to cover your risk for escalation so that the owner remains at risk for it, uh, you're kidding yourself. Because usually uh, the owner, uh, the contractor will have an inflation index. You know, maybe it'll have a wage index for the union wage, but that won't cover you for the risk of your subcontractor's markups. So if you think that your escalation cause has you covered, It'll be okay when there is no escalation and a quiet time. But if there is escalation, it'll give you almost no protection at all. So if you're going to deal with negotiating a escalation clause, you better be a lot more savvy about it than what I see right now, which is just including these producer price indices, because they really don't track the margins that are in the subcontractor's bid. Now, the owners love them because they actually come out ahead of the game because the by having an escalation clause, the contractor thinks that the owner's retaining the risk, but in reality, they're not. So the owners kind of win out in this game by putting in an escalation clause that has no relevance. Uh, the owners can feel like they're being good and holding the risk, but they're really not. So anyway, those are a bunch of the things we aren't doing correctly and things we should be. Uh, so what should we be doing? First of all, we need to address escalation as the risk that it is. It's extraordinarily uncertain. Unfortunately, the, the timing cycle is a very long cycle. So we can have seven, eight, ten years without a period of volatility. And we think it's not a risk but then it comes back to bite us. So we have to treat it as a very long wave, if you will, risk. 
which most of us aren't used to dealing with long wave type behavior. So we have to be able to forecast the, the waves that move through the market. And as you have a mega project, like I said, a five or 10 year duration mega project, you will be hit by a wave. So we better predict that. If you want to understand how to do it properly as a risk, uh, it again is covered in RP68R uh, and chapters 13 of my book. But the steps are actually very simple. They're not much more than what you're already doing. First, we have to have a base escalation model. And I think most of us have this. It's a model that has your cash flow by cost account. And then we go off and we get some indices from a magazine or somewhere. And we apply the price indices on an annual basis against the cash flow by account. And most companies have that type of spreadsheet. So we're, we're good at the start. We have the spreadsheet. We have the cash flow by account. Uh, and we have some sort of an index in there. Uh, second step is to get the best base index you can. And those are going to come from the econometric modeling consultants. The world's biggest is probably IHS Marquis. But there are others like Oxford Economics, and each different countries have their different experts in the economy. So we don't want as cost engineers to be predicting this stuff. We have no business trying to predict the prices. So we need to go to the econometric consultants uh, to obtain the best uh, base estimate indices to start with. Now, the third step is the one nobody's doing, but is absolutely essential is we have to adjust the economist indices for the capital spending in our local market. And it's really not a hard adjustment. Uh, what the, the wonderful thing is the economists actually have indices of capital spending. So they'll go off and actually try to predict the amount of capital spending in transport or in the process industry or the mining industry. And so if you go to the economics consultants, they have an index that says, well, we think capital spending is gonna increase 20% next year. We can use that capital spending index as a markup of the underlying producer price index to address the fact that those margins are going to significantly increase in a hot market. And then we have to recognize that all of this has uncertainty and we have to put a range on everything. Many of us in the risk world are used to Monte Carlo modeling. We simply have to apply Monte Carlo to that escalation model. It's not a hard thing to do. It's just another spreadsheet that comes to a bottom line and it's very easy to apply Monte Carlo to that model. Now there's a fifth step which makes it even better is that you can use your contingency uncertainty coming out of your contingency method as an input to escalation. And what I mean by that is escalation is strongly driven by schedule slip. So every year you add to the project is a increment of one year of escalation. So if you can take your schedule uncertainty and build that into your cash flow like an accordion, we will then have what I call a universal capital cost outcome, meaning that one curve will cover your cost contingency risk, 
your schedule contingency risk and the impact on escalation and the price index risk due to the economy. All of it will be in one CapEx curve and you can give that curve to the business people to use in their net present value. Right now, when we do the net present value, uh, we give them the contingency curve, but that doesn't really give the finance people the total CapEx range. So this is really the only way to give the business people a total capital cost uncertainty ring. So anyway, just five steps. None of them are particularly difficult. It's just that we don't do them. So I'm not going to get into the details. I think most cost engineers understand base escalation. Uh, we have our estimate and current dollars. Uh, we look at the cash flow by period. We're going to look at the incurred cash flow, not expended because we're trying to predict the escalation to the vendor, not the way we pay the vendor, but the escalation that the vendor is going to build into their price. So we're going to use the incurred cost. Uh, we're going to go out and get some sort of index, and we know what indices are. is simply a relative measure of price. And they always start from some base year, you know, the year 2010 is equal to one, and then the next year will be 1.03 and so forth. Uh, then we have to adjust that, which uh, the, the main adjustment we do is to build recipes because the things that we buy are not the published indices, like, like pipe from a fabricator. You know, we buy pipe spools. So within the price of a pipe spool is the price from the mill, which is mainly the metal price. But we also have the fabricator's labor costs and overheads for running the shop and then we have to deal with the margins and the markup so we have to build baskets or weighted indices to deal with all of that uh, estimate the cost by period and apply the indices now what we don't do is this next thing is we have to adjust that for the capital demand <clears throat> uh, so we have to apply a factor uh, like I said, the economists do forecast capital spending, and we can use that information. So the way we do that is that we, let's say that the economists told us uh, that the price index for wages is going to go up 8%. But we also find out that the capital spending in Melbourne is going to go up 20% next year. What we do is we take... 1.2 to the fourth tenth power and multiply that by 1.08 and the result is 1.17 you can get into the math later after you look at these slides but what it's saying is our escalation is not going to be eight percent wage increase our escalation is going to be 17 percent because that's going to cover the increase in the markups and the risk premiums that the bidders put in their bid and that is how we adjust the index. And we have to do this adjustment for each type of cost account. So the more a cost account is a oligopoly or a monopoly, the bigger that exponent will be. So for example, back in the super cycle, the cost of, uh, let's say, fabricated uh, hydro treaters, there was only three suppliers in the world that could make heavy wall hydro treaters. The price doubled over the course of a couple of years because they could charge whatever price they wanted because everybody had to have a hydro trigger and so they just jacked up their price by two 
Uh, that's because it was basically a uh, oligopoly. There were only three suppliers. So if you're in a local oligopoly, uh, the bigger that exponent will be. And uh, the book explains it. It's really hard to get into a little bit, but you can see that the escalation index is double the underlying wage index. We don't pay wages as an owner. We don't pay anybody's wages, but our own owner spot. We pay a marked up margin uh, and a bid to the contractor. <clears throat> so how do we know that method I just mentioned worked? Well, back in the super cycle, when I developed this method, uh, I just did some back checking. And in the blue curve, you can see the chemical engineering plant cost index. It was saying it was about a five, six percent a year increase. But the yellow curve was the IHS Marquis downstream cost owners index. Using adjusting the, the chemical engineering index for the capital demand uh, pretty much matched right on with what the owners were paying. So we do have historical validation that the capital adjustment method works. And you can see how big the difference is. If you had been using 6% a year, versus 16, uh, that would be devastating to a mega project, right? That's a 10% difference. Hundreds of millions of dollars were left on the table because people weren't doing that. We know this now. We know how it works. We can predict this. This is not an unknown unknown. We have the forecast of capital spending. We know Sydney is going to increase our capital spending next year. In other words, it will be unethical for us not to apply this method because the facts are there in front of us and the methods are there available for us to anybody to do tomorrow. So let's start making our models probabilistic. So capital adjust your index and then apply Monte Carlo to your escalation model. Uh, to do that, we have a bunch of uncertainties in our model. We have contingency is uncertain, so we use the output of our uh, QRA method for contingency, and we put that as an input into the capital spending or into the escalation model. We know the schedule is uncertain. We put that uncertainty as an input into our escalation model. We know that the price indices are uncertain, so we put a high and a low range on those as well, based on what the economists tell us. And then finally, we know that the cash flow pattern, meaning whether they're going to spend the money a little early or late uh, as well. All of these are very fundamental uncertainties that we can, re we can rebuild our escalation model as a Monte Carlo model. It's not that hard to do. Uh, once you establish correlations, you run Monte Carlo, and now we have an output. The dis distribution of this probabilistic escalation model then not only gives you escalation as a P10, P90, it gives you again the total capital spend P10, P90, including all of the risks that go into a project. We are actually giving the business people a true range of CapEx to put in their tornado sensitivities on the net present value model. This is the only method to do that. If you're not doing that, then you're not giving business what they need to do to do net present value. Now, uh, another little side point is that uh, a lot of people say, well, economists, you know, you can't trust them. 
full voodoo. Uh, their predictions don't really come to pass, and that's not true, really. <clears throat> the economists, if you pay them a little more money, will give you scenarios. And you can see these in the magazines. What they'll say is, well, next year we think prices will go up 3%. But if you read the fine print, what the economists will say, there's an X probability that something else will happen. Nobody reads those words. So I'm going to go back. This is 2009. <clears throat> the, uh, the housing market and all kinds of crazy things were happening in the U.S., Economists were not predicting anything terrible at the time, but if you read the fine print, and I'm taking this red word out of a newspaper article, they were saying at the time, a one in six chance, there'd be a depression. It didn't say recession. It said depression, and everybody ignored it. You know, if we'd have all have read this and then changed our stock allocation, We'd all got rich as minus or saved a whole lot of money, but nobody was reading the probabilistic output of the economist. So the economist said, look, on average, we think we're probably going to be okay, but the things are getting a little touchy. Everybody should wake up. We're not using that information. So what we need to do is use the economist ranges as the driver of the range of the price index so that we have a window into whether this wave, this uh, escalation wave is about to, tsunami is about to wash over us. So this is a snapshot of the process, a little bit busy here. You start out on the left, you've got to have the base cost you, <clears throat> uh, in the, today's dollars. We estimate the cash flow. We apply our price indices to it, and we have to create weighted indices to match the types of things that we have in our estimate. But where people are stopping short is they don't do the next step. They don't adjust the indices for the capital spending uh, and the productivity and so forth in our market. <clears throat> and then the last step, the fifth one, they don't do that either. They don't do a probabilistic assessment. So right now, everybody's doing the first three steps, applying the indices, but they're not doing the last two. Uh, but this is the recommended practice 68R. Now, the another takeaway of this is, like I said, going back to my IPA example back in 2004, uh, IPA lived on its historical data, maintaining metrics, tracking trends, and so they lived and died by the quality of their normalization of their historical data. As owners become more data-driven, and this is a hot topic now, machine learning, artificial intelligence, we're hearing this every day now, right? <clears throat> People are going to be collecting more and more data. But if we're not normalizing it properly, within five years, that data is garbage. So in order to normalize your historical data that you're going to start capturing soon, we have to start implementing these methods that I just said. If you're not doing that, your data is going to very quickly become trash. Uh, and that's why IPA was so concerned about it. You need to be just as concerned if you are going to be entering this data market world. So keep in mind that chart I showed you earlier with the three lines. I want you to go back from this session today and ask yourself, which line am I using? Why am I not using that top line? 
some of you are, you know, I think like BHP is probably on the phone. I think they they have indices like Marquis. Uh, but I'd say that by and large, most companies are using the consumer price index or one of the magazine indices like Chepsi. So in conclusion, uh, takeaways. Escalation is not inflation. Just remember that mantra. When finance tells you to use the CPI, I tell them no way. It has nothing to do with my project. In a volatile market, my escalation could be two or three times that at least. Second, there are no, with a capital N, no, <laughs> published indices for the prices that are bid, which includes engineering, construction, and fabrication, now, which happens to be probably 60% of our project cost. <clears throat> the only things we buy from a catalog is just very minuscule, like an instrument or something. Uh, but remember that the bid prices correlate with the how hot the capital market is. So, if we have a capital index, capital spending index, we can use that to adjust our index. We need to treat escalation as the risk that it is. Apply Monte Carlo to the underlying escalation model. It's not that hard to do. It's a big model, a lot of variables in it, but it's really just fundamental Monte Carlo, uh, and we can do that. And we can generate a probabilistic capital spend with a P10, P90 that really, really works for the net present value. Then we need to use that same method when we start doing our analytics, our historical data, our machine learning. If you're starting to enter that world, we need this method in order to maintain that historical data. So how do you do that? Well, it's there. 68R, 11, get that recommended practice. Get my book, chapter 13, has all of the stuff I just mentioned covered. So you don't have to learn this from scratch. It's all documented. And get to have a relationship with IHS Marquis or Oxford Economic. Find out who in your company has a contract with them. That's another thing I'll guarantee. Someone in your company has a contract with IHS Marquis. What you'll find out is on the business and the revenue side, they're already working with them. So you have to get them involved in your capital side of the house, as well as the revenue side, and start using the economists and leveraging their data in your estimate. So that's uh, what I had, and I think we'll open it up for questions. I'm gonna turn off the screen. Let's see. Uh, I don't know if anybody's had. Uh, I'll I have stop sharing. I have one question in the meeting chat. It's just Martin Nyman asking: Am I correct that the escalation risk should, in reality, have a separate contingency, and the escalation model should be added to the capex model to be able to measure the estimate accuracy? Ultimately, you're reporting, say you're working for an owner. The cost figure they're expecting you to give them is the total capital. The vice presidents and the business people are not really aware of what they're asking for. They, they just want to know what the uncertainty of the total capex is, right? So what makes up the uncertainty of the total capex? Well, it's the base price, the base estimate. It's the contingency, excluding escalation, 
and it's the escalation. Now also interest rates and uh, and other things on there, but uh, the uh, they expect you to forecast the escalation. They think you are, but you're not. So when we give them a P10 and P90 on the total capital, it has to have the P10 and P90 of everything. But because people are not doing the escalation part probabilistically, they're really only giving the P10, P90 looking at the contingency, which is just the, the things in your risk register and uh, so forth, which isn't done very well. Anyway, that's a separate topic. Uh, but anyway, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but we must, as a professional practice, quantify escalation probabilistically. We have to. If we're not, we're just full of shit. To be honest with you, I know you're recording it. But if we're not doing that, we are deciding to ignore the possibly biggest risk on a product. Uh, now, the easy thing is finance says, well, use 3%, and we all have to bow to the master, right? Finance says use 3%. Uh, we have to stand up and say, no, that is not what escalation is. Uh, here's what it is. Here's the risk of escalation uh, and push back. And if we don't push back, then we're really not acting professionally. So anyway, uh, I don't know if I answered the question. Is that really what you were getting at, Martin? Or um, well, Martin, right you can unmute not, if you want to. No, right now he's not uh, allowed to un unmute himself. Okay. Uh, yeah, after answering a couple of more questions, we're going to allow everyone to unmute. Okay. But yeah, Martin just confirmed it's, it's okay. Uh, well, he has another question. Given the historic inaccuracies for project capex estimate, how much the how much this how much does the escalation risk help explaining the past performance error? Well, if you recall that slide where I <coughs> validated the capex adjustment method, if you recall that curve where I showed the CPI versus the IHS marquee. Uh, it explains, this method I just showed you explains escalation really well. It tracks a uh, highly accurate method looking back. So if we apply it retrospectively, the capital adjusted method uh, is a good predictor of the actual escalation. Now in terms of forecasting the future, we are uh, at the mercy of the economists, <clears throat> but we need to use their capital spending forecast as well as their producer price indices. We need to use them both together. Uh, and they're pretty, they know that, let's say Melbourne, it's in your newspapers, people. The capital spending is going to go up by a factor, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars in the next three to five years. We know this is coming. Is it in your escalation estimates? No. I will guarantee if I go to the transportation agencies in Melbourne, I will not find a escalation forecast of what's going to happen. And you and me and everybody listening to this talk know exactly what's going to happen. We can very accurately predict what's going to happen, but nobody's going to include it. The politicians, maybe they don't want to hear it. Uh, but if we spend, you know, five billion on this project and the next day another five billion on a project right next door, 
the price of both of them is going to go up 10%. You only have three major contractors in Australia to execute these things. Uh, they have an oligopoly. And my God, those prices are going to go through the roof. We know this, but people are not doing it. You know, so anyway, uh, if the question is how good is this method, it's, it's pretty good if you have a good insight into the capital spending which you do in this particular case, we know that's gonna happen. Uh, we knew it back in the LNG, but everybody ignored it. I mean, we knew the LNG projects were on the table. Uh, there were three or four or five of them announced. Uh, here they were coming, here comes the wave, but everybody ignored it. And you all know what happened to the LNG in Australia, it just went through the roof. And everybody's like, oh, unknown, unknown. It's like, no, it was not unknown. <laughs> it was perfectly predictable. Uh, and we can see this again and again, that we're totally ignoring the capital spend situation and the competitive nature and the margins that contractors are building into their business. Now, the contractors are subject to risk. So they're not only, you know, addressing their own margin that they can jack up in a hot market, but they're increasing their internal contingency as well because they know the productivity and the labor shortage is going to hit them. So not only are the contractors jacking up their in-house contingency to cover the productivity uncertainty, but they have the oligopoly power to, to jack up their margins. So you're, as the owner, we're getting hit by that multiple level tier of accumulating risk contractor by contractor up to the prime and up to the owner. Uh, and it, it's as predictable uh, as a fire in the fire season in Australia. You know? <laughs> it's going to happen, you know, so... <laughs> Um, oh, good. Uh, we have one more question. Um, well, he's thanking you for the good insight. How do we consider the exchange rate fluctuation uh, in this method? The exchange rate and escalation are locked at the hip a little bit uh, because they are both related to inflation and printing money. So what happens is if China starts printing money, the value of their currency drops. Uh, so it, uh, that affects the prices you have to pay to acquire goods from China and so forth. So exchange rate uh, and, and inflation have to be looked at together because it has to do with monetary uh, changes. So exchange rate has to do with differential uh, monetary issues from one country to another. So we have to say, well, in Venezuela, you know, inflation is 80%. Uh, their exchange rate, you know, their, their currency is going to plummet. Uh, and so we have to predict that. So anyway, that's a, it's related, uh, but it's not the same thing, you know. So exchange rate has to do with relative inflation uh, and monetary value from one country to the other. Uh, so you, I, when I... I implement an escalation model for my clients. I have an exchange rate model with it. So I actually get the exchange rate indices from the economists as well as the price indices and the capital spend. All of them are built into my tool. So I actually have the escalation tool on one tab and then I have the exchange rate impact on another tab, which is probabilistic. So the, you know, it looks at the exchange rate volatility as well. Uh, all you have to identify is where where are you buying this item and with what currency? And it will look at the uncertainty for exchange rate. 
So, uh, you know, I actually have a model that does contingency risk, escalation risk, and exchange rate risk for my universal capital. I'm the only one on the planet that's doing that. Uh, but it, it's eminently doable. I'm no genius. You know, it's simply common sense. Uh, just have to do it. Anyway. Okay. Thank you very much, John, for, for the presentation. I think we are at good timing to uh, finish the webinar. Uh, Lou, do you have any, any comment to finalize yeah, look, the, the webinar? Yes, certainly I'd like to thank you. Uh, your webinar is fantastic. And you've given me a lot of information on how to quantify the fact that multiple projects impact each other. Um, we talk about, you know, uh, labour rate going up and labour shortage. This is a way of, of quantifying it to, to our clients and saying that if we commit a, a mega project next to or near the one we're doing, it's going to impact both. And we don't take that into account. Or we think we do, but we don't know how to actually explain it properly. So this is great. Thank you, John. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, well, uh, we are closing the webinar right now, and thank you all. Uh, well, from now we can just unmute ourselves. I'm going to stop recording. Thanks for listening to the AACE Australian Section podcast. You can head over to our website and see other webinars, articles, and podcasts with guests and members via our technical meetings, discussing project controls and cost engineering disciplines, techniques, and methods. For information about becoming a volunteer or member, please get in touch. Our members receive exclusive access to published papers, recommended practices, and benchmark data to support your career career development and projects. For more, check out aacei.org.au.